Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and your profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business when I was 28 years old, and that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali called Honeycombers. Today, we employ over 30 people across four countries in that business, and we have over a million unique visitors to our websites every month. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad today has members across six countries, and we run between 15 to 30 events every week. We do masterclasses, coaching, and connection calls just for our members. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet, and profit together to really create better businesses. I want to know, what does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me, and together, we're going to find out. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, which is Bundjalung country. And I pay my respects to the elders past, present and future. And I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed by the massive technology changes that are happening. And I'm kind of both excited and scared. I think I'm excited because I do believe that technology can solve, I suppose, the world's biggest problem right now, which is climate change. And my next guest believes that as well. Max Rye is the chief strategist at a company called Turtle Tree. Now you might not have heard of Turtle Tree, because their big product that they're working on at the moment hasn't been launched yet. But their big product, it has the exact same makeup as milk, but doesn't come from cows. It's going to be a bit of a game changer, I think, when it hits the market. I just loved this chat. I think we covered so much from how politics plays a really big part in what we consume, what gets produced, and overall the way the economy works and something that we aren't really aware of but should be more aware of. And we also talked about how you can end up in a food technology business, leading a food technology business at a very pivotal time in history, but not have a food technology background. Both Max and Fugu, who is the CEO, didn't study food tech, but really interesting where they are. And then finally, I really loved this chat, just learning about what it takes to create a company that has raised, I think it's $30 million and doesn't have a product yet. What are they spending their money on? What are they doing? So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Hey, Max. So great that you can join me here today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. I'm so intrigued by Turtle Tree. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us what is Turtle Tree and what are you doing? Yes, we are actually a biotech company and we're using technologies like precision fermentation to produce 
dairy bioactive ingredients. I mean, so real milk, real milk proteins, but without the cow. Now, we've been known to be using cells to make uh, real full milk. However, in the early days, we're using uh, our precision fermentation technology, which really uses microbes. And those microbes then ingest sugar and then output that identical protein that comes from the cow. Cool. And where are you at on your journey? Are you at the minute producing products that people can buy? So we are actually uh, very close, very close as a matter of fact. We are preparing uh, a launch in 2023 this year, and we are at the stage of regulatory approval and scaling up for, for the market at this stage. Yeah, cool. And I first came across Turtle Tree because you were involved in COP27 as Singapore's beverage partner. So congratulations on that. And that was with an energy drink that you have produced. So tell me about that product. Sure. Um, so just to, to, to give you some idea, the first protein that we're launching to market is something called lactoferrin. And many people may not know this. People in the infant formula industry know this because it's one of the most highly sought-after protein in the world for babies because this is something that's very high concentration in colostrum and mother's milk. It has all of these benefits around uh, immunity, gut health, gut brain for children. Uh, However, it has a lot of the same benefits for adults as well. So what we are able to do is not just have milk products, but um, if you can imagine a lot of um, sports nutrition, adult nutrition, all these different products that can have many of the same benefits from this powerhouse protein, we're able to do that. And one of the things that we're doing is we're looking at different applications, sports nutrition and uh, energy drinks is one of those areas. How can you have an energy drink without the crash and that's actually good for you? That's something that we're not used to. However, we are able to do that. And that's what we showcased at COP27 is the future of sustainability can also look to be a better for you type of ingredient uh, with lactoferrin. And that's what we were able to showcase uh, at the COP27. Yeah, cool. And tell me, what was COP27 like? It was massive. Uh, it was in it, it was in Egypt. There were some challenges, I think, for the overall event in some regards. I don't think the infrastructure was there for an event of that size. But Singapore did an amazing job. They put together an amazing booth, uh, uh, the pavilion, I would say. Uh, great hosted great events. And ministers came from all over, many different nations, and so forth as well. And we were able to get so much spotlight actually there. So that was uh, significant for us. Uh, our CEO, Fungru, was there. Uh, a lot of our team members came and we really represented Singapore and actually just the whole space quite well. Yeah, cool. It's interesting in that Singapore really is taking a big step forward in food technology with sustainability. It's, it seems like the government's very focused in food technology And I suppose I'd be interested in your view on that in terms of where are we going to be in terms of food tech and then food intelligence in the next few years? I mean, if you look at Singapore, Singapore doesn't have much of a choice. It it imports almost all of its food for this entire country, right? Uh, It's a small nation, unlike coming from the U.S. or you're in Australia, you guys have an abundance of land and and food. Uh, This is not one of those types of countries. And it was really highlighted during the COVID situation when a lot of the food off the shelves were being swiped and they know they have to import everything in. Uh, it was a big scare. And really, the country has put a lot, even more effort into 
uh, meeting their 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 food security uh, goals. So therefore, they they have to open up. There's no lobbies here, right? They have to open up and look at other solutions. Uh, now, cell based meat as well as precision fermentation dairy. All of these are things that they are very proactive in. For them, it's about how do we get access to the best food, not necessarily what's good for for certain uh, stakeholders. And so I I think it's been a a great platform, a great place. They're very science-driven, so safety and so forth is all there. They just want to make sure that this stuff can scale and they can provide for the for the masses. So I think it's been a great environment now regulatory-wise, but also if you look at the region of Asia, Singapore, as you probably know, is a launchpad to all of these different places. Many of these, uh, these countries around this region look to Singapore to be a leader in technology and, and so forth. So that also makes, makes Singapore a great place to be. And is that how you ended up here, Max? You know, were you obviously originally from the States? And yeah, I'd love to hear your journey. Sure. So past 20 years, uh, I was in the, in the tech industry. I, I was a CEO of a tech company in Silicon Valley and uh, really enjoyed building, scaling uh, tech companies. However, I got much more involved in sustainability, climate impact several years ago. And I mean, I complained about it for more for a lot longer than other people are not doing enough about it. But I figured at the right time, I want to get more involved myself, take a lot of my leadership skills and get in it, see how I can contribute. And that's really how my journey started. I exited my previous tech company. I took some time to get more involved in this climate change, you know, solutions area. And really, I was invited to give talks on it in uh, at Google headquarters here in Singapore. I mean, this is following doing the, some talks in California. But that was my first introduction to Singapore. And I was just blown away uh, that uh, this is such an amazing place to, to do this project. And I met my CEO, uh, current CEO, who was working at Google at that time. Uh, and that's how we first originated this idea, this concept, and uh, the journey. Yeah, and I'm just reflecting on what you said earlier. I suppose not having lobbies in Singapore, like not having big farming backgrounds, means that the government does have more incentive to get into food technology. And that's really unique compared to other markets, right? Yes, I mean, I think um, one thing that I have learned over time, and I think a lot of people out there should consider, is just how much politics play into business as well. Especially technology doesn't always triumph, right? The best technology doesn't always win because sometimes there's a lot of politics involved and lobbyists involved as well in the status quo. So for me, Singapore was... uh, was a no-brainer because when I got here, there was so much potential because the government itself is backing a lot of this because they need this these type of solutions. Mm. And I want to talk a little bit more about yourself and your CEO. Um, I understand you both enrolled in an EMBA program together. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. And this is after we started the company. It's really interesting because for us, we understand um, business to the point where we're like, hey, listen, when you get to a part of your company when it's growing, at some point, um, if you are not up to the mark, you have to do what's best for the company, right? And that means you might be replaced by a better CEO or a better chief strategist. That's just a part of the journey. A lot of entrepreneurs don't want to under, don't want to believe that, but 
Starting a company at the first phase is one thing, but if you want to grow it to be a multi-billion dollar uh, industry, you have to be up to the mark. So we thought about this throughout during this journey, especially during COVID. We thought, why not enroll in an EMBA program improve ourselves as business entrepreneurs so then when we get to that stage of the company we can be the best people for this company and if we're not then i think we will be we have to be open to bringing in other ceos or other executives to help fill these roles as an entrepreneur you always have to think about what's best for the company and that is how we thought about this journey continuing our education and this might not be over we might actually go back to school to do something else in a few years from now but it's always about being the best person for the role. Mm. And tell me, did you find the EMBA valuable and practical and did you come out with a, a totally different approach to what you were doing? You know what's so funny is during the program, actually, we were able to implement many of these uh, tools, I guess you could say, in real time into the company that helped to improve a lot of the stuff that we're doing. This could be different uh, case studies that we went through, different uh, other types of management tools, software, all the stuff that we learned, a lot of it we were able to, to implement in real time, which was really great. So you would have gotten actually more value out of your MBA than a regular student because you were able to go and test and apply things straight away. And did you ever come back to your lecturers and go, this doesn't work as well as you're telling me it should? Or did you have any feedback? Yeah, I mean, what was interesting is uh, for Fungru and I both, in most EMBA programs, they have a class project as well. And everybody has to pitch a project and one gets chosen and the whole class kind of works on it together. So it was almost, it was really cool. We actually got chosen uh, as the class project where the whole class was working on Turtle Tree in many different areas or aspects or angles. So this whole thing turned out to be really amazing. And yes, they also learned that some of their toolkits may not work as effectively for this type of business. And I think that the lecturers also found it very helpful. Mm, yeah, well, that's super cool. So I wanted to ask you about your background. I understand that neither of you, you or Fungu, actually have a food technology background, right? So that's super surprising to learn. How did you get into a food technology without a food tech background? That's a really good question. And really coming from an IT or engineering and tech background, it was very different. But when I looked at the, this whole situation, it wasn't about whether it's food or not. It was how big of an impact does this have on climate change? And then from that point, um, I looked at how I could reinvent myself throughout this journey. So I went to, through this little MIT course around biotech to, to get caught up. And then I spent a lot more time learning about the space. But there is a lot of things uh, around innovation and opportunity that are very similar to, to tech that I was able to bring over. But early days, there was a, a learning curve though, uh, Chris, that there's no doubt about that. But this is still a very new field because food is one thing, traditional food is one thing, but food tech and biotech and, and uh, merging the both together is still relatively new as a field. So because of that, it allows myself and Fungu to reinvent ourselves and really put ourselves in a leadership position in this, in this whole industry because it's a, a very nascent industry. But if you were thinking about pharma and biopharma, that would have been much more difficult for us to crack because in those situations, they would look for hardcore pharma folks from the get-go. 
This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. When it comes to milk substitutes, where do you see the world? How fast are we going to be changing? Like how fast do you see? I mean, obviously in the last few years, we've seen a lot of milk alternatives. So oat, almond, soy, coconut. I've got a range in my fridge, you know, like you can you can choose what kind of milk you want. But yeah, I'm interested to know where do you how quickly do you see it changing for society from, you know, will anyone be drinking cow's milk in 10 years' time? Well, you know. That is an interesting question, and there's no 100% right answer that I'm going to be able to, to give you. But what I can tell you is all of these options, everything from O to almond and so forth, these are all going to be different options. The challenge is going to be how good is it for you? These are the questions like mothers ask us all the time. Like, what am I going to feed my kids? Is this really that good for my kid? Am I lacking some important vitamins that are found in milk or some proteins that are found in milk that they might need? Those answers are continuing to come out. And the answer is actually, yes, there are some things missing in oat milk and other types of alternative milks that real milk does have. And our team put a lot of time around this, a lot of research, and work. we are working very closely with UC Davis, which are some of the leaders in this whole bioactive milk space. Lactoferrin happens to be one of those very valuable proteins that all kids need. It starts off from even from breast milk, as a matter of fact. So how can we produce lactoferrin and maybe actually merge it with oat milk or so forth? Then all of a sudden you have a very sustainable product that's also really nutritious and good for you, good for your immunity and all these types of things that real milk is supposed to, to do for you. Mm. You know, I suppose some people even just question the fact that we are the only species that drinks another's milk, right? So there are a lot of environmentalists or people that think it's already weird that we drink cow's milk, but it is, I suppose, a society thing that we do give our kids milk and, you know, if we don't breastfeed them, then we use a formula. But I do also wonder how quickly it's all going to change. What's your view on that? Okay, I'm not a vegan. I'm going to be as practical as possible because I actually do still eat meat uh, and, and I do still consume some of these products. So for me, it's about what's delicious, what's good for me, what's good for the planet as well, right? So I'm going to tell you, honestly, there are good things that are found in milk. There's a reason why we drink it. I've heard of this whole phrase that we're still the only um you know, species that drinks another milk, but we're also the only species that drives cars. And we're also the only species that has a lot of things. So I, I can't necessarily use that. But what I can tell you is looking at science and trying to figure out what's good in the milk that we're drinking has to be the approach. And if we can figure that out, which I think we have, then I think we can build a better milk of the future where we don't have to get it from cows. It can be identical we can leave out the bad stuff like lactose, which is a lot of people are intolerant, but we can bring in the stuff that's really identical and has some benefit, has a lot of benefits, and we can make a better product. That, I think, is a future. I don't think the future is trying to go back to original cow milk or even making the original cow milk identical because a lot of the original cow milk may not even be the best for us. Mm, cool. And so I'd love to dig deep more about Turtle Tree. Like, so the current focus of the business is really the tech innovation. 
And I presume that you've also doing rounds of funding. Where are you at in that journey? And what is like, as the chief strategist of this company, what does day-to-day look like for you? Well, we have multiple teams, uh, the scientific teams, the business teams, uh, the marketing teams, everyone working in parallel. 2023 is going to be a big year for us. We're going to commercialize our first products. They're going to be on the shelves. So we have that team working. The scientific team is also looking at how they can make more improvements around this protein and how much more of it we can produce with our platform. And then on the funding side, we are looking to have another funding round sometime this year to, of course, when you get ready for commercialization, you need another round of funding to really get yourself out there, get the production going. So all of these things are happening in parallel. So far, they're all going really well. We have been able to onboard some world-class talent, uh, some folks that traditionally have not been a part of the space. Uh, they're more safe for categories like pharma, but have left that now to come join us to accelerate what we're doing in this space. I would say that um, right now, all hands on deck for commercialization and those uh, funding activities will be wrapped around it. Mm. And I heard that your the fourth person you hired was actually a, a HR business partner, which is kind of intriguing, right? Because usually when you're growing really quickly and you're just trying to get operations going, hiring HR usually comes a bit later, not as high number four. Talk me through that strategy. I think this is very important for entrepreneurs to understand because we think we know everything. But even though I've been in business for 15, 20 years, one thing I figured out is that I don't know everything and I may not be the best person to do some things. And that is hiring sometimes. I may not be the best judge when it comes to to seeing if someone is qualified to work for me or not, despite the number of years I've been doing this. So we understood this very early on. And I think what we did uh, has been an, an amazing move. It's helped us to land some big, big, talented folks. And it's also helped us to bring in the right people early on. The last thing that you want is a lot of turnover because you've made a lot of mistakes. And uh, we've done a great job from the get-go, the right foundation, the right packages for the right talent because of our HR business partner, who is today our, our chief people officer now and really the backbone of the company. And I think that that goes a long ways. I would say, I would recommend this to all entrepreneurs, look for some outside assistance in the early days to help with your talent acquisition and with your hiring. Because sometimes you may not be the right person to hire or to assess someone's abilities. And I have been told many times, by the way, this is, uh, I've been told many times, I've gone to Fiona, our chief, our chief people officer now, hey, I think this is an amazing candidate. We should hire this person right now. And she's like, no, <laughs> we're not hiring this person. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and she will give me the reasons and almost every time she's been right about it because this is what she's good at. This is what she looks out for. And I think this is something that all, all entrepreneurs should think about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I know in my own business, I didn't have anyone in HR for the first, I think, about eight years. And as soon as I hired a HR manager, life got easier, you know, like a lot easier 
because it is a real skill set and it's such a big part of what makes your company work is getting the right people in the right seats. Yeah, and understanding motivation too, right? Understanding what is the motivation, how it's a two-way street. You're not just hiring someone. You're also trying to see how you can help them along on their journey, on their path. And having a professional really assess that and really talk them through that can really bring out the best in the type of people you're looking for. Yeah, yes, 100%. Going back to your funding, you've actually closed some really quite sizable rounds. I think your Series A round was $30 million, is that right? Yes, Yes. Quite a big amount. What did you use that money for? Like where where are you investing that money? So a lot of that money is being invested in the, the R&D teams. Uh, we are a very R&D heavy company. That means we are all about cutting edge technology, cutting edge uh, processes. Uh, and th- so just to let you know, we are a Singapore headquarter company. But some of the best talent in the world around biotech is actually still in the U.S. And Boston, for example, Boston, the majority of the world's money around biotech actually goes into that one city because of MIT, Harvard, and a number of other institutions. And a lot of, and it's an amazing ecosystem. So we have, have a lab there as well. We have a lab in Boston and we have a lab in California for very much of the same reasons. It's all about the talent and the, and the technology acquisition and uh, in that ecosystem. So that is still the majority where our funding has gone into. And then, of course, uh, a lot of it is also starting to do scale up uh, and production runs for a lot of our products that we're looking to, to launch. So that's where current and then one more thing, the manpower, right? Uh, the talent. If you want to bring in top talent, you got to be well-funded. So that's helped us to continue to accelerate in what we're doing. Mm. And I imagine that your competitors would be on a global scale as well. So are your biggest competitors in the U.S. or are they in Singapore? Our biggest competitors are in the U.S., as a matter of fact. And, and I think what makes us unique is the fact that we have a footprint in both areas. And uh, But we, have, we feel we're closer to the, the market that has the highest demand for some of our products. Asia, for example, in general, is looking for more proteins. And this is where we should be. But the technology, I think, I think it's just well thought out the way we did it. Uh, we have a lot of our market access in Asia. So we have our corporate HQ here. And then R&D-wise, we're in the U.S. where the cutting-edge uh, R&D is happening. So I just think we did it right. We don't have any competitors who have actually copied our model. If this is a success, we definitely expect more and more companies to start thinking around this. Mm, they'll follow you. <laughs> so I've got one more question, and it's a big one. So I feel like you're really disrupting the milk industry. Like that's kind of what Turtle Tree is all about. I'm interested to ask you if there was another industry that you could disrupt or an industry that you think needs disruption, what would it be? So I've thought about this uh, in the past. I actually think education is really an area that I would love to do. And why is because Coming from California and Silicon Valley, where we really have a lot of divergent thinking, uh, different ways of thinking about innovation and so forth. And when I came here to Singapore or, or Asia in general, I see much more of a hierarchical system, passive thinking type of system here. And I felt there's a lot that we can bring from cutting edge innovative regions into this place when it comes to thinking. And education goes in that way. So I think looking for ways to using using technology, of course, to bring in certain education, certain mentoring, or a process which can, which can help the youth think outside the box is something that I think would be quite cool. Mm, and so needed in the challenges that we're facing, right? 
to be able to think creatively. Okay, um, I have some rapid fire questions for you. First of all, what do you feel a good business is? I would say I think creating long-term value rather than short-term gains is really important. And we see this. Um, we see this across the world. People are looking how fast they can make them make money instead of looking how they can build relationships. Right. I'm a big fan of uh, of Paul Pullman. Actually, he's a uh, he was the ex CEO of Unilever and Nestle, and uh, he's all about creating business for good. And one of the biggest uh, he has a quote: "We cannot choose between growth and sustainability. We have to have both." So I think a good business is one that can combine growth and sustainability. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Do you have any business advice or mantras that you live by? I would definitely say put as much effort into building relationships as building a profitable balance sheet. They're both very interrelated. And I think that's something that uh, is all about, once again, going back to building long-term value. Mm, I love that. I love that. Tell me, which of these expressions resonates for you the most? Luck favors the open mind or fortune favors the bold? From this whole industry, it's all about fortune favors the bold. You got to take risks if you're going to have anything remotely to happen that's spectacular. You know, so Fungu and I, we took this huge leap from whole this whole cushy tech industry, and we did something completely different. And if you want something amazing to happen, you got to take big risks. And this is something that I very much believe in. Yeah, great. I love that. You've kind of answered this, but let me ask you anyway. What does community mean for Turtle Tree? Oh, I think for us, it's really about creating a space for people to really embrace their identities, company culture, and the way we plan to enter the market, the products that we're enabling for the people. Lifestyle is one of those. Can vegans, for example, all of a sudden now have access to a nutritionally identical benefit proteins like lactoferrin without compromising their values? That's what it's really about, is how do we give access to uh, consumers out there to things that they currently just don't have very much of? Lactoferrin, by the way, whether it's coming from cows or not, is something that's highly sought after. And many parts of the of Asia and the world don't have it because there's not enough of it. Mm, so interesting. Okay, great. Do you have a favorite business book or business podcast that you'd like to recommend? Well, coming from the tech industry, a big one is really Play Bigger by Al Ramadan. It's really good because it's all about category design. And when you're talking about cutting edge stuff, you really have to ask yourself, do I really want to make the same thing that everybody else has? Or do I want to create a brand new type of dessert, for example? Do I want to think outside the box and create a whole new category? And if you can get that right, you have huge potential and you can open up a whole new market. So Play Bigger is one of those books that I really liked uh, quite a bit. Mm, I love it. Okay, great. I will put this in our show notes. So for anyone listening, jump onto the Launchpad website to have a look at the links to this book, Play Bigger. Sounds great. And my last question to you, Max, is at Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. It's one of our favorite expressions. And I was wondering, do you have an entrepreneur that we should invite onto this podcast to talk about their business and their priorities of people, planet and profits? It's funny you mentioned that. I just met with a friend of mine yesterday. His name is Bert Graben. He is somebody that's doing some really amazing stuff. There's a company in Singapore that's called Revivo Biosystems. And what they're really doing is a skin-on-chip type of technology to replace animal skin testing. 
it is great because I think it's really cutting edge stuff. And it basically, as you know, with the cosmetics or other types of pharma products, they have to apply things on animal skin or test stuff on animal skin. And that could be a thing of the past with this company. So they're using this chip and they grow skin on top of the chip. And all of the same tests that you can that can be done on the animal can be done on, the, on a piece of chip, which is really, really cutting edge stuff. And I hope they succeed because this will really help a lot of animals from going through a lot of this testing process. Yeah, great. Okay, I will hunt him down. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for your time today. It's very inspiring to hear what you're doing at Turtle Tree, and I can't wait to see your products on the shelves this year. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been wonderful, and uh, look forward to chatting again sometime soon. Thanks, Max. Three takeaways from this podcast episode I got is, firstly, Politics plays a really big part in what we consume, what gets produced, where it gets produced, and the overall economy. And it's something I don't think I think about enough. Secondly, I think we're at a really exciting point in time where we're going to see massive changes of what's on the shelf in the next 12 months, enabling consumers to really have greater choice and greater options of things we can eat and drink that will be better for us and better for the planet. And thirdly, I really liked hearing about Max's journey, that fact he doesn't have a food tech background and the fact that he enrolled in an EMBA while he was running the business as the chief strategist. So, so interesting. I hope this inspired you as much as it inspired me. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact and our wonderful community at Launchpad where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.